everybody is kind of dealing with these things. Uh, but I just want to do a quick shout out uh, to our sponsor, uh, magicfinancing.com. Magic Financing. If you need a car, you need uh, uh, a used car, brand new car, these are the people to go to. They'll help you out if you're struggling with your finances and, and, and having difficulty trying to get a new car or, or used car. Go to them, magicfinancing.com. Uh, as for Maurizio, we've been going to him for many, many years, my family and I, to get our cars, and we've gotten some amazing, amazing vehicles. Uh, my sister's in the middle of buying one right now. And so please go to magicfinancing.com. As for Maurizio. All right, folks, uh, welcome to the council. This is uh, April 17th, 2020. Uh, I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and boy, do we have a great show for you today. Uh, kind of a little shift in gears and being able to allow people to kind of relax a little bit. And now We've got so many things going on all around us and people, you know, get in these uh, high, high anxiety modes and, and high stress modes. And we want to try to give some a little bit of inspiration today and a little bit of hope and uh, we love to share stories of people who've, ex who've gone through challenges and have come out the other end. Um, before we get to there, I do want to celebrate. Uh, we had an event last night um, for veterans and warriors and people who are uh, on the front lines of this uh, pandemic crisis. Uh, it was extraordinarily successful. Uh, we had a large gathering of people from all over the country that tuned in. Uh, that, that came together and united and were there for a common purpose, recognizing that warriors and people who have the, the that veteran uh, background really understand how to manage and navigate through times like this. And so it was, uh, it was quite an, uh, a unique and wonderful, wonderful night. We're going to do it again. It's going to be every week. If you're interested in joining this uh, Warriors Online Gathering, Please contact me, email me at charlespacello at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-S-P-A-C-E-L-L-O at gmail.com. Uh, and come and join us. We'll take all, uh, every warrior, everybody who's out there in the front lines, first responders, police, uh, firefighters, people who are working in the medical field, uh, as well as, uh, as warriors who, uh, who understand we're the ones that go to danger when everybody else is going the other way. And we're the ones that, that, that are understand how to handle crises like this when they come up. So please join us. It'll be next Thursday. Uh, we're still figuring out a time. We're gonna uh, bump it up just a little bit so that we can uh, really, really be able to, to flesh out and, and utilize that time wisely. Um, so check, uh, contact me if you wanna join. Uh, also, uh, there's online workshop that I'm doing with Dr. Sarah Larson that's uh, at 3.30s on Fridays for the next five weeks. If you're interested in that, healing the traumas in your life, uh, we're working to, to help you during this time to be able to tend to your wounds, to heal them, all the things that are coming up right now, and how to be able to do this while you're in quarantine, while you're in self, uh, you know, isolation and, and uh, social distancing, how you can work this because healing is an inside job. And how you take care of what's going on on the inside is going to reflect on what's going on on the outside. And when you get into equanimity and balance on the inside here, no matter what's going on on the outside, you can stay calm, you can stay centered, you can stay balanced. 
And so that's what these classes are all about. It's a workshop. So contact me if you would like to do that. Also look up uh, Dr. Sarah Larson. And uh, lastly, real quick, you know, this is a great time to work on your soul. And uh, I couldn't recommend a better book. <laughs> uh, it's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. This book is designed for uh, people who are looking to, to connect and heal their soul. It's a self-help book for the soul. It's combining and gathering wisdom from the ages, from this major period called the Axial Age, and allowing you to tap into, in a very succinct way, to be able to tap into the deep resources that are within you that these teachers from these great periods of time how we're able to extract and pass down to us and we need these kind of teachings more than ever they are the, they are the grounded in truth and reality and 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 the, and the substance of life uh, they're not they're not being trying to lead you anyway uh, in a direction that is like conspiratorial or you know anything that's dark it's getting you towards your own soul, towards the light that's within you. And so you'll meet six masters. Uh, you'll meet Ezekiel. You'll meet uh, Lao Tzu. You'll meet the Buddha, the mystics of the Upanishads, the Greeks, the Greek tragedy playwrights, uh, Socrates, so many others. And uh, it's, it's to help you navigate uh, into the deep recesses, the deep part of your heart and your soul. And uh, you can buy it on Amazon.com. You can also buy it at storebookbaby.com and Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's a great, great tool to help you to get through this, through this crisis that we're in. So check it out, Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Okay, folks, we love on this show uh, to be able to showcase individuals and groups who are really overcoming great challenges uh, in their lives, who are who are coming and confronting the crises that, that come into their lives that they didn't, you know, they, they, they had a choice. They could have gone two different ways. They could have gone, they could have spiraled on down to the very bottom and then kept digging deeper until they couldn't get any deeper or they decided, you know what, I'm going to go up. I'm going to do what I, I'm going to choose to, to pull myself out of this and do whatever it takes to get me out. And who have overcome and faced their traumas. Their, their challenges in life, the experiences that gave them that choice to either give up or find the courage to move forward. And we love to celebrate the triumphs of individual people and groups of people, ordinary everyday heroes. It's the ordinary everyday people that uh, we know in our communities and our, and our friends and our, and, our, and our families that we need to celebrate and who make our communities better and our families better and our friendships so much stronger. My next guest is an old friend of mine uh, and he's uh, been a huge, huge supporter of the council. Uh, he's been there for, from the beginning and he has met every obstacle, he's met obstacle after obstacle in his life and has managed to grow from each one of them and, and he's now creating a life He'll never have to take a vacation from. Take that in for a minute. He'll never have to take a vacation from. So let me introduce you to Louis Junta. He, he is the CEO of Fiber Lifestyle, a brilliant new program to inspire others to have more fun, integrity, and balance in their life. He's the CEO of Wise Guys Consulting 
the current president of Wise Guys Barbershop, and is an up-and-coming motivational speaker. Louis was in the hospitality industry for over 25 years, and he's been an entrepreneur, restaurateur, and nightclub operator. He has so much to share today, and I just want to welcome him to the show. Welcome, Louis. Hey, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. Thanks for uh, having me today. It's definitely an honor after uh, watching you all these years and talking to you the, uh, the few days leading up to you doing your first radio show, man. I remember how uh, we sat down and had some good heart-to-heart conversation. You were so excited about it. I was so excited for you, and you definitely have knocked it out of the park, just about like you do everything else in your life, man. I've, you and I have uh, come a long way together. We've been able to stay in contact from going to L.A. to see each other, to back to Denver, to everywhere we could to, to end up getting back some sorts of, uh, you know, along the way of our lives in the last 30 years plus. So, uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure being on here with you, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a, it's a, you're kidding. Uh, Lou, we've, we've known each other for so many years. I and mean, we go, our, our history goes back to when we were in junior high school. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And we have, we've walked uh, together in different, and different periods of our life. We were, you know, like in high school in those periods, we were together and then our lives uh, veered off in different directions. And I went one way, you went the other, but we always maintain that strength of bond. That, that loyalty yeah. to each other, that friendship. And when I was going through difficult times, you were always there for me. And, and uh, hopefully I was there for you as well in, in your challenges. But I just want you to share a little bit of your background, if you could, Louis. I know you very well, but I would love for our audience uh, who's tuning in to be able to get to know you a little bit better and your background and, and, and how we got to be friends. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about my personal background because we'll get into uh, the the business side of things here in a little bit. So I was uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I was first generation American. That was kind of the first thing that, that made a uh, an impact on both of our lives because there wasn't a lot of them in our little small town, Arvada area that were in our same position. Um, I spoke Sicilian before English. Another good reason why you and I kind of hit it off together because not a lot of people spoke that, uh, spoke that language nor that dialect in wonderful Arvada, right? <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, they didn't speak it. No, they didn't. The, 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 crazy, the crazy thing back then is when I was growing up and, and um, speaking Sicilian in the household, I used to get kind of upset with my, with my family and say, hey, stop, we're English. We're, 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 we need to speak English. We're in America. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? Well, looking back on that, I can tell you that that was probably a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I should embrace that a little bit more. Um, I should have given that a little bit more energy and continue to be able to speak Italian. Sure, I do now. Sure, I can now. But it could have been a whole lot more better. It could have been a whole lot more. Um, I could have taught it to more more people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny. You get to Sicily and you start speaking the dialect that I speak. People come out of woodworks and say, how do you know that old dialect? It doesn't even, like, it's not even around anymore. <laughs> well, it's because of who we grew up around. Um, so I, I would say, uh, you know, that was... That was a big part of, of my life, and, and I, I wanted to carry on those traditions. And it became very difficult to carry on those traditions and those languages when I moved from Brooklyn, New York, to Arvada, Colorado. You know, in Brooklyn, it was easy to be able to speak Sicilian because the whole neighborhood spoke. Mm-hmm. Now I came to Arvada, Colorado in seventh grade, already a weird time of your life, <laughs> you know, and, and this transition that took place, no one had, I mean, I was the loud guy. I was the guy who talked funny. I was the guy that had 
uh, more gold around his neck than Mr. T. You know, but just <laughs> it went on and on. Right. You know, and I've heard it all. It's funny, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes on Facebook you get these things that go around and say, you know, tell me what my your first impression of with me or whatever. Leave your name, I'll tell you the first impression. And one of the things that kept on coming up was the guy that talked weird, and uh, and that I had a bunch of gold on his neck. He was he was uh, Slater's his, uh, cousin from Brooklyn, <laughs> looking to make Zach's life hectic. You know, just funny stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I enjoy that. So transition was a little difficult. And um, the great part about you and I is not only as you and I personally, but our families were able to mesh really well. You know, you spoke a little bit earlier that's your mom's birthday. Well, of course, I reached out to your mom today already. You know, oh. I don't miss that. I never missed it. <laughs> you know, it's in my phone. And every year I reach out to your mom to tell her happy birthday. I never miss that. You can ask her. I never miss it. You know, and, and the great part about it is when you and I lost communication when you didn't tell her or what have you, I reached out to your mom. And she was so excited because you've had the same or you had the same phone number since we were in junior high school. It wasn't hard to, to forget, you know? So, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was a pretty easy number. I was able to reach yeah. out to her, and, and she brought us back together. Yeah. Um, so it was great to have a family like that. It was great to have a friend like that. Um, and even what even got better is that our families were both living what everybody kind of conceived the quintessential American dream. Yeah. You know, they, they came from another country, a whole other world. And they made a life for themselves. Well, they you did. Know, my father yeah, they was did. that. Your father was that. Your mother was that. Yeah. You know, and you and I were able to bring that together and keep on bringing it through another generation. Well, they did, so you know, and they had that Italianness that you and I were able to connect in and be able to speak those dialects and to speak the. I mean, the dialect that my mother's sound little that had was, uh, you know, it, it was so different that only you would understand it because it came from that region. You know, we'd say things like Yama Chain instead of Andiamo, which is the same thing, but it's a little dialect, but we would be able to do that. And, you know, it was the, or the Italian-American experience was very fresh for you and I. I mean, it was very alive in that. And there was a, I just recently saw this uh, PBS documentary called The Italian-American Experience. I don't know if you've seen it, Lou. Yeah. It's fantastic. And it really just shows you, like, what, those, what, the, what our ancestors and the people that came here did and they struggled and how hard they fought to be able to be integrated into America and assimilated and the challenges that they had. But we were like really direct. I mean, we were first generation. My mom was right, right off the, you know, she came off the boat when she was 11 years old. And, uh, and our bonding from the family was immediate. We had an immediate connection. And uh, I mean, we had some fun, great fun times. I and mean, I remember one of the times when, in high school, remember when we used to like go around the neighborhood and we would launch uh, like the pop bottle rockets and all that stuff. I mean, these are golden memories that we had. And, you know, you don't find, you, I think you have a, in your life, you may have a handful of people that you can really call your close friends, or, you know, that, that stand the test of time. And you and I certainly have uh, met that standard, I think, at least for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%, you know. And, and you're lucky if you have that handful of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it becomes an issue that as we get older in life and as we take in the other outside entities or outside influences that we have, unfortunately, it, it changes our direction, you know? And it's not a bad thing because it changes our direction to become, whether you become a family person or we develop our careers or whatever it may be. But at the same time, too, holding on to something so stable like a relationship like that that just developed throughout the years is important because like you said we were both there for each other and never in any 
any one way or another where have we ever passed judgment on each other, no. which is the best part of our relationship. Yes. Because you and I both have been in situations where anybody looking from the outside would have easily been like, what in the heck is wrong with these guys? You know, and fortunately with us, we didn't pass judgment. We just talked about it, we laid it out on the table, whether we laughed about it or even cried about it or whatever we had to do, we got through it, figured it out between each other. You know, it, one of the things that stands out for me in high school was, uh, not even high school, I'm going back to junior high school, Charlie, and, and I'm sure you <laughs> can vaguely remember this conversation is, uh, you know, once again, I'm in a junior high school that, that I don't know anybody. Everybody already has tight flicks. I'm different than anybody else. I mean, the principals are yelling at me down the hallway to lower my voice. I don't even think I'm talking loud. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm, I'm Italian. I'm a New Yorker. I just talk loud, but they're yelling at me already. So I'm trying to be somebody. I'm trying to figure out who I am, who I am, where I'm going. And then I'm at home one night and I'm watching TV and I recognize this kid on, on TV. I'm like, I know that kid. I know who that kid is. And he's in a choir with a bunch <laughs> of older people that are not his age. And I'm like, I, I can't put my hand on who that kid is. Well, then, after a couple times of seeing that commercial, um, the, the camera's taken from above, down to this group of people. Once again, a whole lot older than we were. Here was Charlie, big smile, singing as loud and bright as you could, along with the braces at the time. And I was able to come over, and it gave me an opportunity to break the ice to come talk to him. I was like, all right, you, that kid on TV. Wasn't that you yeah, with the choir? Yeah, that's right. You did that same time. Right. right? Yeah, and that was kind of my break, my, my segue to be able to get to know you because you were already part of the community. People had already known you. They've already drawn a respect from you as much respect as you could expect at seventh grade. Right. But it was already there. You know what I mean? And, and that gave me an opportunity to talk to you. And, and from there on out, I mean, to be honest with you, it, it just became a lifelong friendship like we just talked about. And uh, that's that's the biggest memory stands out to me. I, mean, I don't know if, if the fight, if the pop bottle rocket one that stands out to you, that was a fun time too. Well, like, it, we knew it you know what stands out about it to me? It was just the innocence. It was the purity. It wasn't. It wasn't about. You know, it was just you and I, just uh, two young boys, innocent to life. That just it was. There was the purity of it. It wasn't. There wasn't any. It was just pure friendship. That's what it stands yeah. out to me. It was just one of those things. There wasn't any try to compete, you know, you're not competing with anybody, you're not trying to, uh, you know, win each other's favor, or, you know, you're not, you're not doing anything, you're just being with each other, and that was just why it stood out to me, because it was, it was in that place where I wasn't having to try to impress anybody, you know, I had, as a kid, I was, I had deep insecurities and worries if I would fit in, just like you did, you know, and so, in seventh grade, eighth grade, you're kind of like, uh, you know, how do I walk and talk and how do I act in front of people and that stuff? And, and I always felt very at ease. And, and that's why I enjoyed it. It was I guess it was one of those moments where I was just like, I can be me with you. And I think that's what, what it is. Yeah. I could be me with you. you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's where it really became. And we had a, we had a lot of great times with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as I thought about that question, I thought about it deeply because I really wanted to. I think this time in our lives we've forgotten more than we remember. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and 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 I really wanted to dig deep on some of that. And one of the things that I remember, we had, I think it was like ninth grade social or something. And you and I were shopping out of the international mail catalog from <laughs> from California. We you know did. what I mean? We were like, well, everybody I around here is going that. to merry go we did. <laughs> right? Everybody around here is going to merry-go-round or mm-hmm. DJ's fashion. We're going to go, we're going to go to international mail out of California. We'll order our stuff from there. You know, and it, <laughs> That, that part to me was fun too, you know, and it was just, it 
was growing up like that and having the opportunity of doing that. And certainly, like you said, there was a couple times in our lives we certainly went different directions. I think there was a time before I saw you in California. I hadn't seen you in probably 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know I went to, went to the military and uh, and then went a different direction. And that, and that uh, kind of opened up with a part of me that, uh, you know, just uh, led me into that direction. And you went into the hospitality world, you know. And you were right. very successful in the hospitality world. I was successful as in going to the academy and becoming an officer. Uh, and it was just different, different directions that our life choices and decisions and opportunities uh, that came available. Um, and you were in the hospitality business, Louis, for like 25 years, a long time. I mean, you worked as a DJ in high school. I remember you working as a DJ. And, uh, and you, then you did it to nightclub management. And then you were in these general manager positions and you were very successful during this period of your life, hugely successful. What was the secret to your success during this time? Well, Charlie, I'll be honest with you. From as early as I can remember, um, I always wanted to be some sort of boss. Mm. And I think back then it was ego driven, you know, and uh, and with uh, with that being with that being said, it kind of drove me in that direction. Mm -hmm. So then when I started to get my my feet wet in the entertainment industry i was like how do you put those two together you know as i started as a dj um at what was it called us on wheels in arvada <laughs> you know what i mean that's how, that's how far that dates back yeah. you know and then i started putting those two things together but at the same time too i had no idea what being a boss really meant what kind of responsibility came with it um what what sort of uh what kind of impact you can make on people's lives mm -hmm. And I think as I started learning that, because I was already pretty good at, at developing relationships and, you know, making people knowing that I was on their side. But as I started understanding the responsibility of it all and understanding the difference I can make in people's lives through management, through teamwork, that sort of thing, um, I believe the development, all that made me as successful as I could be in those positions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it continued to grow from there. And then I, I just tried to better myself as I went on. But the beginning of it all was the ability of knowing that that's what I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It was manifesting when manifesting wasn't manifesting. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and, and I right. think you hit on something, and I wanted to bring it up just because I think you were saying it was ego-driven. And very often, and I think for a lot of men, you know, I mean, that's that first part, that young, youthful vigor, and, and you're out there, and you want to you make a name for yourself, and it's about this kind of achievement, and it, it is, and it's really that ego-driven desire to be the best you can be in that way without really having a, con a, a, a conscious awareness of how what you do really impacts the, the community at large. I think we, men, we tend to get that in our mid-30s or late, uh, late 20s, early 30s, where you start to become aware, like, wow, my actions have an impact on the world around me. How can I in affect my community in a positive way as well? And did that because you were so driven, ego, you know, they had that ego drive to, to get you to where you wanted to go. How did that impact your home life? Was it more difficult as a consequence? And what, were, what did it ultimately lead to? Well, Charlie, you know, I started, I started early in, in, in having a family, um, you know, and mm -hmm. being in the nightclub industry, it kind of, it didn't really lend itself to being a family. So I thought to myself, all right, listen, I'm about to have a child. I'm about to have my son at 22 years old, and I need to make some changes. So what I thought to be coming out of nightclub industry, which wasn't paying very well. Yeah, I was a manager. Yeah, I was in charge. 
but it didn't pay very well. You know, if I remember back then, I think it was like six bucks an hour, to be honest with you. And you worked and you worked your butt off. You know, you worked all hours. You know, of course, people would be like, wow, you got the coolest job in the world. Wow. You know, you only have to work nights. That's great. Just sleep during the day. That never happened, you know, because along the way, you got to get your orders in. You got to meet people that work during the day. It just never happened. Um, so in, in addition to that, in my mind, I always thought that my role to the family was to make sure I was the breadwinner. Nothing else really mattered. I didn't really, then I, you know, my wife was going to be the one that, that disciplined the children, that took care of them, that made sure he took them to school, all that kind of stuff. So unfortunately, as that continued to, as my career continued to um, expand and I got more responsibility put in charge and I, I had less responsibility at home, it did lead to divorce. You know, after, um, you know, initially when, when my my girlfriend at the time got pregnant at 22, we were married, we got married three years later, and then we were married for 13 years, but eventually it led to a divorce mm-hmm. um, because I was checked out. Um, I was doing what I thought was right. She was doing what she thought was right, and those two things were running parallel to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, you know, with that divorce, at that point, I now had two children. You know, and earlier in their lives, I couldn't I couldn't say I was the greatest dad. I wasn't. You know, my time was spent working. My time was spent doing, once again, doing what I thought was the right thing to do. I never cultivated a relationship with them. So the reason why I bring that up so so badly is because when there's there's a lot of really hard, hard things to go to when you go to divorce. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, breakups are very similar to that. It's, it's almost like you lose, you're losing somebody, mm-hmm. you know, there's a death in the family and you're losing a part of yourself that you have, to, you have to almost get rid of in order to grow, in order to get better and in order to get through it. Right. But at the same time, it allows you as a parent to become more focused on your children because now it's up to you mm-hmm. to be there, to be their parent, to be their father, to be their mother. And that, which made me, that's what made me dad 2.0, as my kids call it. <laughs> well, and you got beautiful kids, Lou. Uh, you got real, I mean, John, what is it, John, uh, Gianfranco, right? Giancarlo. Giancarlo and Gianna. Yes. Yeah, no, fantastic kids. And, um, you know, it's, and I think you hit on a point where, you know, when you're going through a divorce and you, you, you come up to these um, initiations into life, and, and they are initiations, and divorce is one of those initiations that you come into life, and it's not something that you planned on. It's not something that you looked forward to or wanted or hoped for. It's not that you, you don't expect it to happen, and, and it's not like when you first met the, that person or the, the, that man or that woman in your life, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what a great person, a great guy, great woman. I can't wait till we get divorced. It's going to be great. We're going to tear each other apart. We're going to, like, you know, be mean to each other, be cruel to each other. It happens, and when it happens, it is, it's a major life-altering event. It's significant, uh, and it's comparable to the experience of death on some level because you're, you're disentangling emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, uh, psychologically to a person that you've been with for a while, and it tends to open up a lot of darkness inside of us, a lot of unprocessed, undigested uh, emotions and feelings. And it can get us into a place of uh, self-recrimination, self-loathing, and uh, feeling, uh, you know, depressed. Uh, is that something that, you know, like, Lou, you know about my, my relationships. My, 
I've had a couple terrible ones. Uh, with the best of intentions, it just didn't, they just didn't work out. And they, they, uh, the uncoupling process was really, really difficult for me. And I've spoken about it many times on the show before. And with the lessons that I learned and how I grew from it and why I was falling into these dysfunctional relationship patterns, that patterns that I had adopted unconsciously from a young child and, and that stuff. And I had a lot of guilt and shame to work through on my own. And that's a lot of times when you go through these breakups, like divorce, like a major breakup in your life, uh, it opens up what I consider to be called the dark night of the soul. Did that happen for you, Lou? Uh, and what opened up inside of you uh, when you went through this period of your life? It did happen. Um, what what I what I come to find out as I kept on, uh, you know, things kept on getting harder and harder. You know, figuring out figuring out financially what was going to happen, figuring out emotionally what was going to happen. So many things that that your life was built around is that I no longer knew who I was, mm -hmm. and I was afraid to know who I was. You know, because now I'm surrounded. I'm in. The, I'm in. I'm you know, neck deep in the nightclub industry. Everything I do is all about throwing a party, making people have fun, and that's who I became. I didn't know really anybody outside of that. I didn't really know myself outside of that. And I threw myself into a couple of different things. One of the things I threw myself into was, to be honest with you, sleeping around. Mm -hmm. I was in a perfect opportunity to do that in that industry. There was women everywhere. I, I you know, could have my fit for the night, whatever it was. But that allowed me the opportunity to not to be alone with myself, with my thoughts, um, with the depression, with the, with the ego, with whatever it was that was inside me that was not working for me. Mm -hmm. So it allowed me to, to break away from that, not to be by myself. And then it became getting away from intimacy. Intimacy became zero, no in my life. So now I have this person who maybe comes over and stays the night, but the biggest part of it is that I really enjoyed when they left. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you understand what I mean on that. Well, it's really hard to explain that to a lot of people, yeah. but I, I had the opportunity to take up a block of time where I didn't have to get into it. But if I didn't get them to leave fast enough, they may want to talk to me about who I really am. And that's not going to happen. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes sense. Yes, um, absolutely. No. Yeah, I, you know, I felt that, that too. I felt that too, Lou, where, you know, it's just like, you know, if somebody gets too close to me, they might find something about me that they don't like, or, you know, there's something that I'm this shameful part of me and I don't want to deal with that. So the best way to deal with it is to get away. Is to not engage in intimacy, not to engage in any kind of, you know, uh, deep understanding and, and knowing of somebody else. It was easier just to like get away and just make it very, very much on the surface. Uh, yep, like I get it, brother. Get it. Yeah. So I mean, luckily throughout that process of, of being in and out and then uh, women in and out of my life, I, I the one thing that I did protect was my children from that. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that I would never put them in that position. Here's a new one. Here's another one. Here's this one. I never did that. Um, but luckily throughout that process, I was able to meet, as you know, Candace, mm -hmm. um, 12 years ago. And that's who really forced me to take a real good look at myself and forced me to begin to start healing. And she knew what I was. She knew what I was into. She knew what my lifestyle was. She knew where I came from, how I got there, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and she was still okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Somebody who's okay with that. Maybe I'm not so bad. Well, maybe she just doesn't know all of it. But as life went on, she got to know all of it, and she was still okay with that. So lucky for me, I at least let one person in. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what all <laughs> it takes sometimes is just to have that one person 
that's that opens you up in a way that doesn't go that's not saying all right this 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 behavior is not right but i'm not leaving i'm not leaving and i'm going to wait i'm going to stay i'm going to stand with you you're going to figure out you're going to work your issues you're going to do it because it's not my responsibility to take care of your issues or your triggers well, i'm not here to dance around you and make you but i will stand here with you and i'll wait till you get better and, and help you to get through that healing process and, and candace is amazing uh, you know she was there for you and Louis, it, a lot of people don't know from our circle of friends that you had a, a ch had a very difficult struggle with uh, with addiction. Uh, I had uh, struggles with addiction as well. Um, could you share just a little what happened? Because uh, I think it's so important for people to get that you can hit rock bottom. You can get so spun out of control in your life, and you think, "Wow, I I'm, I, I don't have any hope or any any possibility of my life getting any better." And if, you know, and I, say, I think it's important for people to know how far you went and to show how, bit, how much you've how overcome that and have reached that place of now I'm in a position of creating and manifesting the life I always wanted to live. So could you share with us what happened, how your life spun out of control, and, and what was that moment that you knew you had to make a different choice? Absolutely. Um, well, I, I would say this is about 2012. I, I started getting some pretty major headaches and, and uh, things like that. So I ended up going to the doctor. Um, doctor did a bunch of x-rays to show that I had a degenerative uh, bone issue with my neck. Shortly after that, they put me on pain medication. Well, that started a road. That started a road. I'm sure, you know, we've heard the story many, many times. The soccer mom gets a tooth, a tooth filled. The next thing you know, they're on, you know, putting you on pain medication. Well, there was two things going on in my life right then. You know, there was still the divorce to worry about. There was still who I was discovering myself. And now I'm dealing with this pain. The great part about it, I guess, was I can get rid of the pain and I can feel better. I can give me this boost of energy. It can give me this, this euphoric feeling that I don't have to deal with myself. I don't need to worry about me. I can just make it go away, you know. And as, as time went by, um, it just continued the, the the addiction just got worse it got worse it got to a point where um i was spending hundreds if not thousands of dollars a month trying to keep up with the addiction, the addiction. um i ended up having neck surgery that gave me a, a free pass to uh to be able to have more because the doctors would write more um and then in the process of all this unfortunately because of my uh, addiction there was a lot of things that were that, that were under my nose that I missed. You know, um, a lot to do with work, a lot to do with home life. I ended up losing the job that I loved. I ended up, um, it, that job was probably the most successful I had been, making, you know, making great money, making uh, great people around me, you know, building awesome teams. But it was also really kind of eaten away on me emotionally too. So yeah, it was the best place I had ever been. But at the same time, too, was uh, there was a, a perfect happy medium that needed to be met every time. Mm -hmm. um, and during that time, too, I was I had lost so many people in my life. So once again, that that had become another excuse to be able to stay on the medication or, or do more than I should have. Mm -hmm. um, like I told you, losing in the divorce, then I lost two uncles, then I lost Roy. You know, Roy, one of my yeah. best friends ever. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, he was a great guy. Right. Yeah. And then um, I lost Katie from high school, who was my girlfriend in high school, my first love in high school. And that destroyed me. So it gave me even more reason to do it. 
you know, it gave me even more reason to do that. But one of the biggest things, Charlie, and I, I don't think I was able to put this in, um, in version one when we did these questions, but something came up along the way that I really need to put out there because I had to ask my daughter if it was okay with her. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that was um, under my nose is that my daughter had become addicted. My daughter had become addicted to self-harm. She was 12 years old and she was cutting herself, you know, and that to me destroyed me. Now I'm destroyed by pain medication. I'm destroyed by this addiction. And I'm, 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 and all I think about is this addiction. Now all of a sudden comes in this other part of it and my daughter is destroying herself. One or the other is gonna be dead. Whether it's me or whether it's her, if I don't make a change, somebody's gonna die. And that was probably the scariest part, not probably, that was certainly the scariest part of my life, you know, and the decision I had to make was to get away from my environment, get away from who I was in Denver, Colorado. In Denver, Colorado, in Denver, Colorado, I was the, I was the cool guy. I was the guy who ran the club. I was, you know, I could get anything for anybody I wanted. I was whatever I wanted to be. I had made that reputation, that image for myself. It was mostly fake, fabricated things. <laughs> Um, but that's who I was. Um, and then I had to get my daughter away from where she got her, you know, uh, her pattern of doing things. So we decided to pack up and move to Florida. Luckily, my father and Candace came with me. You know, that, that was incredible. That was amazing. And, um, and in, in return, um, you know, in the meantime, my father, you know this, and I can share this with everybody else. My father is 80 years old now, but he is the most incredible person in the world. You know, he's been there through my ups and my downs. He's always supported me no matter what I've done, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, and, and he continues to, and he's an amazing man, you know? So he was able to luckily say, I'm coming with you to Florida. And Candace said, you're not leaving without me. I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. Literally said that to me in the car. I said, listen, I'm moving to Florida. And I don't, I don't really want to get into being a, uh, a dad to young kids. Again, I wasn't very good at it to begin with. Candace is, you know, a little bit younger than I am and had younger kids. Um, luckily, she changed my mind, and we're, we were able to say, yeah, let's go. And we created the Brady Bunch in Florida, and we left. Packed up a truck. Literally I love that. That's... <laughs> yeah, that's great, the Brady, Literally, the Brady Brunch in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally happened within a couple of days, just packed up and we left because I knew somebody was going to die, Charlie. I was at rock bottom. My daughter was at rock bottom. I'm sure you know when it comes to a cutting addiction, it's very personal. It's something that they almost have to work themselves through. Um, We went through all the, you know, all the, all the different uh, counseling, this, this, what was was that one called the OC, OTC or help me out here. I can't remember the, the, the initials of it, but you and I talked about well, you have, uh, I mean, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so, uh, oh, wow. I mean, it's so powerful and so moving to hear. Uh, uh, my heart goes out to you and, and Gianna. And, and to come through that, I mean, those are challenges. Those are crises. Those are immediate. Those are cute. And, and, uh, and when you're in the middle of it, you don't know, which, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know which way it's going to go. And part of that, and, and part of it is having the courage to keep moving forward, and keep going in the direction, and not give up, not give up, not surrender to that pain. And you could have easily just have surrendered into that moment, 
and allowed the weight of it all to crush you and you know and with a child involved my god oh i don't know how you made it and that's why i want you to be able to share because you did make it and you did come through that and you did reorient yourself and you didn't give up and you were able to find a healing process that worked for you and a healing is powerful and it usually takes a crisis. Unfortunately, I wish it didn't, but it usually takes a crisis to make us wake up it's, uh, to what's, going, what's really going on inside of us and what we need to do to make the changes so that we can become better people and our lives and the people we love can heal around us. Could you share with us a little bit of your healing process and how you got to be where you are today? Sure, absolutely. Um, a couple of things. So when we came out here to Florida, that was definitely a difficult, difficult transition. Although I didn't want to be that Louie anymore, I certainly missed it. Mm. You know, nobody knew me here, um, but it also gave me an opportunity to rewrite chapters of my life. It gave me an opportunity to rediscover who I was, uh, an opportunity for my daughter to start from scratch. Um, so the opportunities that were there made it the best move I ever made. You know, it, it, without that move, it just wouldn't have, uh, probably wouldn't have worked out as well at, at this point. Um, the couple of things that, that throughout my healing process is I really buried myself into working or, or I guess, discovering some of the great teachers that are out there, Dr. Wayne Dreyer, uh, Deepak Chopra, um, some of the, the books that you suggested to me, um, two of them that, that right off the top of my head that they're, they're just incredible to me um, that, that helped me through this process was The Four Agreements. <laughs> the Four Agreements. <laughs> Fantastic book, isn't it? The Four Agreements is one of the right. best books. It's so simple and so accurate, and it's just like, wow, if we could all live that way, it's life transforming. How the world would change yes. if we could all live that way. You know, and then the other one was the uh, Seven Laws of Spiritual Success. <laughs> you know, those two together were, were very powerful for me. And then at the time, Charlie, you were also doing the uh, the meditation course that we were doing online with that kind of, not online, on the phone with that, with that thing. The teleconferences um, that I was doing years ago. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yep. Years ago. And that was all here in Florida. And so during that time, you know, my body was struggling getting away from that addiction. My mind was struggling with where I am now. Holy crap. Um, so there was a lot of things going on. So me to be able to lead on not only you in that process, but also lean on some of these books and discover what these books were saying. Cause I, I didn't really understand all that. You know, the power of now came up. I mean, so many different things. I didn't understand all that. I didn't know what meditation was. I didn't know what <laughs> what the ability became, you know, along the lines when uh, manifesting came out. I don't know any of that. So it opened up a whole new world to me. And that world created a healing process within me. That was certainly a big part of it. Um, another big part of it was to be able to come to terms with the issues that I was struggling with. And and um, and working with like uh, with Candace and the part of my life that I had to make sure was still stable because if the stability of that went away, it was over. It was over. Mm -hmm. You know, luckily that stability didn't go away, and that stability was still there. Um, and I was scared. I was scared, so scared. But I also realized in my life, the biggest breakthroughs I've ever made was through being scared, mm -hmm. through fear. You know, and I try to I try to tell that to so many people that, you know what, when you fear something, do it, do it, because our body just gives us a normal way of protecting ourselves. And that's called fear. And unfortunately, our brain sometimes works against us. 
and our brain will tell us the easiest way to get through something. Mm-hmm. It's not always the best, but we've gotten these little, you know, these little shortcuts within our, all of our brain cells that say, go that way. You know, don't touch, don't touch the oven when it's hot, all those sort of things. So a lot of times fear takes us over. Mm-hmm. So what I got to was a point where um, I just had to react quicker than letting it get into me and fear me and scare me. So if I need to do something, I need to react to it. So a lot of my healing process was through the reading, through the learning, and reacting quickly to things and making sure I wasn't scared or battling through my fears. Well, and it's, it's um, and thank you for, for the things that you sh- shared with everybody. I really appreciate that, uh, uh, that you did the work and, and uh, you, you followed through on it. You took a risk doing the meditation you you were on those classes you you took you did the work and you and you benefited from the results and the meditation you know i'd love for you to share how has meditation been been beneficial to you and manifesting how does that fit into your life and what have you gained from it because i think sometimes people don't recognize how beneficial it can be it seems like it's so simple you just want me to close my eyes and focus on my breath and and calm my thoughts and 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 you know get a grasp and and getting deeper into what's beyond my thoughts what is the space between the thoughts what is that in there and how it was able to give you the resiliency to be able to deal it didn't change your problems but it just gave you the resiliency the the lack of getting caught too too caught up in the the external dynamics of what was going on outside of you and gave you that center that inner guidance that said you know what i can handle this and manage it better and not be triggered by something and then explode and make the situation worse. Uh, how has meditation and manifesting fit into your life? And, and, and Louis, what have you gained from it? Well, I can tell you this, that a couple of different things. One of the, 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 the things that I failed to touch base on uh, prior when you asked me why I was so successful in what I did, I also, not only because I wanted to do it, but also because I had a servant's heart. That's where I belonged. I belonged in the hospitality industry. I didn't belong helping people. And that's what I lost was my servant's heart. Yes. I lost that heart. You are I became a huge an, servant. You're a huge servant, really. Yep. Right? And that, that's me. I, you know, and, and it, it got taken over by ego. Mm-hmm. Ego got in its way. Ego became who I was. I was, you know, the, the Louie from the nightclub. I was no longer had the servant's heart wanting to help people. I never helped anybody anymore. When I was, when I was stuck in all that, I was helping anybody. I wasn't even helping myself. Mm-hmm. How could I help anybody else? So throughout the process of, of meditation, I was able to regain that service heart. It took everything that was going on around me that was crazy, that was hectic, and it quieted the moment. It quieted the moment, allowed me to think in between those spaces, like you said, allowed me to realize where I needed to be. And then as my next step into meditation, as meditation evolves, was to get into manifesting. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was able to incorporate the two by realizing that if I can envision this, and I can almost trick my mind into thinking it's there. Well, guess what? It's going to be there. Because mm-hmm. that's what our mind does. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if people don't understand that uh, a lot of times is that if you were to sit down and close your eyes and envision with everything you've got that you're sitting on a beach and you're sweating or you're about to bite into a, a lemon, your mouth is going to water, you're going to start sweating, and you're going to feel like you're at a beach. Because the body doesn't go to the mind doesn't care that you're really not there. The mind cares about how you're reacting, what you're telling it to do. So that's where so many people are missing out. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid to challenge your mind because your mind, like I said earlier, wants to do everything, take the shortcuts. Mm-hmm. There are no shortcuts, man. There are no shortcuts. 
And unfortunately, because it's taken us all these years to learn those things, it takes us a lot of time to unlearn. Oh my God, it takes us a longer time to unlearn those things. <laughs> it is, it just does. And it's not anybody's fault, it's just, my, you know, I think it, uh, one of the studies that I've, uh, and I can't remember, it could be uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza's work that I looked, but I think it was like around 35 years of age, we, we, we are pretty much our personality. We, 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 things have become kind of, kind of cemented in our mind and in our way of being and our beliefs. And so to start unraveling that and rewiring our brains and letting new ideas to come in and to be able to animate our imagination, to get that understanding that thought comes before form, that energy comes before matter. Like, you know, that's a, that's a shift in thinking that came about as a consequence of our, you know, moving into the nuclear age. When they blew up the nuclear weapons, then all of a sudden they recognized, wait, it's not matter before energy, it's energy before matter. And so it, it was this shift that's been going on and we're still trying to figure it out. How do we become manifestors in our life? How do we become co-creators in our life? And then if you've got a long history of old belief systems and old ways of thinking, it takes a while to unravel that. But what's so amazing, Lou, is that you've done it in such a short period of time and are having incredible, ex I mean, you started from nothing. And now you've got this, and I want to make sure we get into this, what fiber is and your, and your, uh, and your wise guys uh, barbershop and everything. So let's first talk about what the, the fiber lifestyle is. What does it mean and how does it work into your everyday life? You got it. Well, one of, the, one of the biggest things that I try to deploy to people or try to get across to people, whether it's in my personal business life, is called EMI, what I call EMI. And it's educated, education, motivation, and inspiration. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think we have to have that every day of some sort. We have to continue learning every day. We have to learn something. It doesn't mean we have to cure every disease in the world. It just means a little something we may have learned that we didn't know yesterday. A little something that motivated us today because we need to understand that motivation number one is temporary so we got to have something that inspires us at the end so motivation is temporary and motivation is also it's it's driven by con consequence mm -hmm. i mean let's be real it's good or bad it's driven by consequence mm -hmm. right i mean if, right. if your parents told you back in the day hey listen you can only go to that St. Joan of Arc dance if you throw away the trash. <laughs> well, there's a motivation for throwing away the trash, right? right? I mean, so motivation is always enhanced by something. So if you get yourself a Tony Robbins CD and Tony Robbins tells you, this is what I need you to do in order to become the next great you know, person, next great salesman, next great whatever, you're now once again driven by that. It's, it's, you know, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those things you're driven by constantly. So you have to go beyond that and get some inspiration. Inspiration, when it comes down to it, is is more. It can last a lifetime. It's inconsequential. Um, it's an internal source, and it can propel you. You know. So, I years ago, back in like about 2002, had first kind of started evolving through fiber, and only from what it meant. You know, what it means, like from a dictionary standpoint, strong uh, strength of character, morals, values that sort of thing. So it's kind of started building around that more for a business standpoint than anything else. And then it developed getting into my life personal level. But I'll tell you what that is. Fiber to me, straight the way it goes, is fun, integrity, balance, empathy, respect. So it's fiber equals, go ahead. So it's fun, integrity, balance, 
Empathy. Empathy and respect. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Very simple. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah, yeah. But encompassing all that, in my eyes, creates empowerment. It creates empowerment. Yeah. And why? It all break, I'll break it down for you a little bit. The way that I saw it is in my life, the only way I can truly be successful at something mm-hmm. is if I, if I continue having fun doing it. I have to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean the kind of fun that makes you jump up and down and go, ooh, ooh, ooh. no, <laughs> I mean the kind of fun that keeps you that keeps you motivated to go to the next level, consequential type fun, mm-hmm. because it's fun to do, because it, it excites me, it gives me something, learning, whatever it might be. Um, that fun part also goes into how do you start your day? Mm-hmm. You know, do you start your day by letting your day run you or do you run your day? You know, do you start it with intention? Do you start it? Well, how do you start your day? Yep. So you it know, makes all the, the difference in the world is how you start your day. I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. Right. So you got to have some opportunity to be able to do that. And that comes from that, that standpoint for me for fun. So I got to do, yeah, I'm going to plan out my day. I'm going to have my day. But somewhere along that line, I'm going to have some fun. I promise you. Or my day is just not going to be the same. So then that goes on to our next one. So it goes to integrity. Integrity, you know, to me right now is the biggest power struggle in society. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yes, it is. We are struggling. We are struggling with our ability to give our word and keep our word, to do the right thing, even when nobody else is looking, to be able to. It is. And, 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 And we are in a crisis of integrity. We're in a crisis of confidence and the ability to be able to trust that the person I'm speaking to means what they say and says what they mean. And they're going to do it. And it's just and I, and I totally agree with you. And, we, and in order to be able for us to do that, we've got to stop lying to ourselves. We've got to stop betraying ourselves. And we've got to stop blaming other people for the choices, decisions, and actions we make in our life. And integrity is everything. So go ahead. I'm sorry. But yes, I, I, oh, no, no, we're please. gone when you were there. You know? Yeah, so, so integrity to me right now is the biggest power struggle we're having in society nowadays. Just like you said, whether somebody says something that they truly don't mean or they make up for it later, they try and you know erase it later, mm-hmm. or the same side too is is, uh, is fake news going on. When did fake news happen? Like, when did this all happen? Yeah. You know, and when did integrity become something that didn't matter anymore? Yeah. It matters, man. It matters. And we got to take that back. We got to be able to take that back to ourselves and be able to sprout it out to everybody else. You know, it does matter. I'll move through it so we can get through them. But yeah, that to me is so important, mm-hmm. you know, and throughout your world too, what's important throughout the integrity, I kind of build it in when I'm talking to more of the, the hair industry, because like we talked about, we have wise guys, barbershop. Um, what is your purple cow? You know, what sets you apart different than somebody else? Mm-hmm. And in this industry, you have to have that set apart because reality is anybody can cut hair. After watching it for this long, I bet you I can give you a hair. Well, you're bald, so I'm lucky I can shave you. You can shave it, yeah. <laughs> but reality is, you know, mm. what do you what do you give them in the end? So here, like with wise guys, and we'll talk a little more about that in a little bit, but here with wise guys, we say it's it's more than just a haircut, it's an experience. Because that's what it is. You can kind of see behind me a little bit of what wise guys is. We have uh, you know, it's a it's a mobster themed barbershop. That's great. How do you like that coming from me? Crazy, it's great right? yeah it's great but yeah it's a it's a great it's a great theme and we continue to build it and we continue to build it why because we have integrity in this neighborhood in this area people close their doors whenever they feel like it they say they're open until six you get there at five they're closed um they'll change their prices on the whim us we operate with integrity and we always will period end story 
You can't operate with integrity. You don't work for me. The next one, my biggest struggle, my biggest personal struggle in life is balance. Mm-hmm. Balance between home life and work life. Now, we talked a little bit about how I developed this through um, the course of being uh, through business. But I also want to show you how it also becomes part of the, the, your personal world. Because if you don't balance your work life and your personal life, there's a problem. But what about kids? What about kids? But they don't balance what's going on in school to what's going on at home. There's a problem. Now, no kid should have to come home with five or six hours worth of homework. Their balance isn't there after they've been at school for eight hours. I think that part of the world is getting better. You mm-hmm. see kids with less and less homework. At the same time, too, that kid who comes home from school and just screws around the whole time, doesn't do homework, is obviously not getting the balance they have. Mm-hmm. I've spoke to our kids, and they say, well, I failed my, my spelling test. I failed this. Did you study? Well, yeah, I studied. How long did you study for? Uh, I don't know, 15 minutes. Okay. How long did you watch? How long did you, did you play on your phone for? Well, I don't know, two hours. Mm-hmm. Is there balance there? No, there's not. So balance was my hardest thing to always maintain. And sometimes I still have to look back and fix it every once in a while, tighten that screw and get back to balance. Empathy to me, this, this, is, this is a big thing, right? Empathy has become like a love word, a passion word out there. In this industry, and this is why I kind of focus this, this program um, on this industry, but it goes off anywhere, is people could be one thing away from the worst day of their lives. Mm-hmm. Anywhere you meet people, out on the street, at the grocery store, they could be one simple little thing away from the worst day of their life. Or let's go the opposite way. Mm-hmm. One single thing away from the best day of their life, yep. right? right? So why not just attribute to that? Why not just smile? Why not give that empathy that people deserve? Listen to what they have to say. Give them an opportunity to talk. Don't talk over them. Open your ears, shut your mouth, do what you got to do. But understand that empathy always needs to be there. People are like right now, here's one of the biggest things that we see on the internet when it comes to the, the hair business. I can't believe these people are cutting hair at home. They're going to break the law. It's illegal. It's this and that. I'm sorry, man, but when you got five, six kids at home and you got to feed them out, I don't care what you do. You cut the person's hair at home. You got to do what you got to do. Give them empathy. You have no idea what that person is going through. Yes. Give them an opportunity. Give them empathy. That's where empathy putting comes from. putting yourself in other Respect. people's shoes, you know. Really yeah, exactly right. Yep. And then the respect part of it. I mean, respect is such a a simple, what is it? A simple definition, a simple word. We all hear it. We all understand it. You will respect me, as parents say, or that guy has not gained my respect, or, or what have you. Wherever that all breaks down. But reality is, I think that's another thing that goes right into integrity. Because mm-hmm. if we're not operating with integrity, we're no longer respecting. We're no longer respecting that industry. We're no longer respecting that person's time or that person's smarts. Mm-hmm. We're all of a sudden thinking that person's stupid because we can go get over on them based on integrity. So it drives me nuts, but that's what respect to me is all about. Yep. Now, combining two, combining all those together creates, like I said to you to begin with, creates an opportunity to totally be empowered. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about earlier, with the, uh, the the four agreements. If we had the opportunity to put these things to work every day of our lives, and we had the opportunity to make sure that all of our life had fiber involved, we always had our fiber for the day, how much <laughs> would your life be? I love how it. How much would your life It's so great. I mean, it's so great. Uh, the You know, the idea of empowerment and, be, and fully being empowered, that is one of the critical things, I think, is people to understand that, uh, you know, power is a fundamental, one of the fundamental ingredients of life. 
And to, no, you can't, you don't ha if you don't have your power, nobody else does. And what is it about? It, you know, like you said, having your fiber every day. <laughs> Fun, integrity, balance, empathy, and respect. That's your daily amount of fiber. You're going you're gonna to be an empowered person because you're fully alive, fully present, fully available for whatever is going on around you, and you're present for the people that are, that are in your life. You're there. You're paying attention. You're looking, and you can start to sense, I'm sure, when you're out of balance or you're out of whack or maybe that you're not you know, you know, living in integrity and you're like, wait a second, I need to do better here, and, and you start to be able to self-regulate yourself. And that's yeah. self-mastery. Those are some of the keys to self-mastery. Um, Louis, I can't believe how close we are. I mean, we're, we're, we're right at the end of time here. I can't believe it. Uh, I know, I, it's unfortunate. I wanted you to really do a quick shout-out. to. I know you uh, just say something about your the Wise Guys Barbershop and Wise Guys Consulting. I want to make sure and let people know you started from scratch and, and where you are today. And then, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll close out the show for today. But I just want to give you that opportunity real quick. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of piece it together. So um, back in August of last year, uh, Candace had decided that she was going to leave the place that she was currently working at as a barber. And we decided together to just kind of go off on our own and do what we had to do. So I rented a chair and at a, at a, a very posh spa kind of like place, and we called it Wise Guys. We started branding it from day one called Wise Guys Barbershop. Guys would show up and be like, I thought I was coming to barbershop. So we'd have to joke with them and put them in the chair and say, once you're in that chair, you're a wise guy. Well, we started with zero clients. By about by about January, um, we, were, we were operating at about, I don't know, 400 clients or so. We outgrown the place. We needed to open our own. So we opened our own. We knew we were going to do that, but not within that quick period of time. Mm -hmm. So we opened our own in January. Um, we had decided to open our own in January. We opened April 2nd. April 2nd is the day we opened. Unfortunately, this year, because of everything going on, it's also the day we closed because of all that. Yeah. So our coronavirus. Um, so kind of a, a sweet, bittersweet type of thing. But in the time that we've been open, I've spent a total of $400 on marketing. I've done it all, all through social media, of course. But Candace has done it through repeat customers, through being who she is, through offering more than just a haircut. In that meantime, we have won three different um, – media awards through the newspapers in town that are um, uh, best barbershop, uh, best barber. And the biggest one that we want is this one right here. This is the one I'm most proud of. This was given to us as a uh, new business of the year mm -hmm. from the Chamber of Commerce. And it was all about what we do in the community. It was all about what we do in the community. What we do in the community. You know, I, I think when I told you that um, my mantra has always been if you want to get somewhere and you want to do something yourself, have somebody help somebody else do what they want to. Yeah. You know, as simple as that is, as simple as, as you want it to be, you know what I mean? That's what you need to do. The, the best thing for heart health is to help somebody off the ground that didn't even know that they needed to off the ground, you know? And that's always been a thing for me. So when we first opened this place, we were wanted to best and better ourselves in the community and always made the community better and better. And that's what we did, and that's what I believe has, has lent itself to our growth. It's incredible, yeah. Louis. Um, you know, that you can have every, anything in life that you want if you help others get what they want. Yeah. Always keep that in mind. You will always grow in your heart, and you will always grow around you. you always be great. I think that's um, so One great. last thing. Just wrap, wrap it up. One last thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. It, it kind of goes with the integrity thing, but I want to I ask you guys to do this for me as a favor. 
a big thing in life is you have to ask questions, man. Don't take everything for what's in front of you. One thing that I did on, on Facebook the other day, I kind of did this uh, experiment. I posted a picture of an airplane, and I said on top of it, "Would you would you jump out of would you jump out for a hundred thousand dollars without a parachute?" Mm-hmm. You know, and people are like, "Hell no, hundred thousand dollars not worth it." No way, you're not kidding me. You're kidding me. A couple of people caught on. A couple of people did. Reality was was this: if I didn't know, is that airplane on the ground? Sure, if it's sitting on the ground, I'll jump oh, out. Oh, Joe totally jumped sure. out of that, yeah. <laughs> it's on the ground, yeah. But my question was, right. would you jump out if I gave you $100,000? I didn't say anything about the airplane. All I did was show you a picture of an airplane. Mm-hmm. So what I plead to everybody listening to this and everybody that's out there, ask more questions. Mm-hmm. Don't take things for face value. Don't listen to what a, a headline says without reading the bulk of it. Just ask questions. Always know what the answers are go find them if you don't know what they are. and i love that and you and you ask uh you know i always ask my guests right before we close out the show uh, if you could give one bit of advice one bit of wisdom from your life experience what would it be and that's it it's to ask more questions be inquisitive about life yeah. search life don't allow just the you you are the masters of your own ship and you want to be able to sail that ship and if you're you don't allow somebody else to take the rudder and you take command of your souls and boy oh boy and if you do that with integrity and you follow the principles of fiber of fun integrity balance empathy and respect you're going to be the not only the captain of your ship but you're going to be leading and helping other people to be the captains of their ship as well louis thank you so much sir for being on the show with us and it's such an honor for you to be my friend i mean it's just i'm smiling on the inside just knowing you know everything that you've overcome and the challenges and what you and Candace have accomplished down there with Wise Guys Barbershops in just one year. It's amazing. It's incredible with nothing. And this program here that you're uh, reaching out and teaching to your community and how the community has embraced you. It's just a, it's a real American uh, dream story come alive from, from rags to riches kind of a thing. And it continues to grow. Uh, and wishing you all the best, Lou, brother. It's going to... It's going to be fantastic once we get past all this craziness. Uh, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the council today. I want to thank uh, KUHSDenver.com, KUHS and Henry and everybody here at the station. Uh, thank you for, uh, for allowing the council to be here and to broadcast uh, not only here in Denver, Colorado, um, but all across the nation and all around the world. We are, we're, we're touching lives, you know, in... Asia, in uh, the Middle East, in Europe, in South America, in Africa, and uh, it's just an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm very humbled to know that there's so many people that are tuning in every couple weeks to the council, so thank you very much for tuning in. Um, Folks, the council is adjourned. We will be back in two weeks. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless.